Makers and Mystics Podcast presents Naming the Animals, an invitation to creativity by Stephen Roach with Ned Bustard. This companion podcast follows a chapter-by-chapter discussion of the book Naming the Animals, published by Square Halo Books. To get your copy of the book, visit squarehalobooks.com or see the show notes of this episode. This is Episode 3, Contemplation. Okay, my friends, here we are in Chapter 3 of Naming the Animals. This is the Contemplation Chapter admittedly one of my favorite chapters in the whole book and joining us for this part of our discussion is english professor and fellow square halo author lisa smith lisa thank you for joining us on the naming the animals podcast today thanks i'm glad to be here you know one of my favorite quotes about contemplation actually didn't make its way into the book but it should have and it comes from hopper on stranger things and he said Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. (laughs) And uh, that is true for me. And fortunately, I've had my coffee. And so we can dive into this. I'd like to start with the quote that did make it into the book. And this is a quote by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And that is the author of The Little Prince for anyone who might be wondering. He says, A rock pile ceases to be a rock pile the moment a single person contemplates it, bearing within them the image of a cathedral. Our lives are lived among concrete and stucco, flashing neon signs and virtual man-made realities largely segregated from experiences of wonder or heightened moments of genuine spiritual encounter. Modern life is a far cry from Eden's garden of delight where God walked alongside Adam, talking with him in the cool of the day. Susie Gablick says in her book, The Reenchantment of Art, boredom, cynicism, and chronic materialism are all symptoms of our higher need for an ecstatic dimension in life. When our human need for reverence is left unattended, We tend to seek gratification through illegitimate means. We fill our souls with all sorts of substitutions in attempt to satisfy our need for the sublime. As Ned and I have been talking through this book in previous episodes, we've highlighted one of the core premises of this book is that creativity is not just for artists, but it's for all humans. And in our current cultural moment, when it seems that we're all distracted by social media, Can we say that contemplation is for all humans or is that something only for a select elite? What do you think? Well, that is a good question, Stephen, because that is your premise of the book, that creativity is for everyone. And where does creativity come from? Um, I like that you define contemplation as having hearts and eyes to see within and behind the material world. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned that right at the end of that paragraph, actually, that you were reading. So if we think of contemplation as the ability to see within and behind the material world, we all need that. I mean, Mm -hmm. in the paragraph that you just read, 
um, life without the sublime. I think you say life without reverence is empty and can lead to despair. And we all need something more than what we see in this material world. So I would say contemplation is needed by all humans. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, contemplation can be accessed by everyone. I absolutely don't think it's for a select elite. Um, you mention also in the book, you say uh, it's a spiritual discipline we learn. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree with that. Um, I myself really enjoy contemplation. Contemplative prayer has been a big part of my own spiritual life. And I'm pretty much the last person you would think would be a contemplative. <laughs> you know, I'm a complete extrovert. I get zero marks on the introvert side of the scale. I'm active, high energy. I like to do things. And when I actually considered trying to work more contemplation into my life, I, I thought, wow, I'm really the last person who's going to be able to do this. But you're exactly right when you say it's a discipline that we learn. Like anything else, we can learn to still our hearts. We can learn to bring our minds to rest. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that that everyone can learn it. I think that it's an important part for everyone. And I also like your comment um, where you say on page 28, it flows from an abiding communion with God. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of the other thesis of your book that I saw, the idea that creativity flows from relationship. Yes. And that's Christianity. I mean, Christianity is not rules and regulations and, you know, philosophies and a schema to view the world, but it's a relationship with God. So if we all have that, if we all have the need, if we all have the ability to learn, and if we all have this, what you call an abiding communion with God, then yeah, contemplation is for everyone. It makes me think that contemplation is such a countercultural practice you know, we opened up talking about the state of our modern culture. Contemplation is such a countercultural practice. I'm curious if you could lend us some thoughts on how contemplation found its way into your life and into your routine, because I know you're probably just as busy as the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it came from need. <laughs> it came from uh, the paragraph that you read. <laughs> it came from me realizing that I wanted a closer relationship with God. And I wasn't sure how to get it beyond the spiritual practices I already had. You know, I was doing Bible study. I was attending church. I was in fellowship. I listened to worship music. You know, I had all of the pieces that, that were important for a spiritual life, but I felt like I needed a, a depth of relationship with the Lord, that something in me wasn't satisfied. I remember even going to my pastor at the time and saying, I, I need something more. And he didn't honestly know what to tell me. He, he kind of referred me back to sort of the standard Christian practices. And so I, I came upon a book called The Joy of Listening to God by Joyce Huggett. It was an, I think it was an university press book. And uh, that book sparked something in me because she talked about working in silence into your time with God, working in rest. She talked about God, seeking God being an end in itself, you know, not even needing to necessarily lead to anything, but he's worth just spending time with, you know, as a friend. And that motivated me to try to work some different practices in, and most of them were contemplative practices. Most of them were practices that included some rest in my prayer time, that included me not talking, that included me actually using my imagination 
just to try to connect with God in different ways. And what it stirred in my heart surprised me. It stirred almost like a mini personal revival in the, mm-hmm. in the sense that it renewed and refreshed mm-hmm. my relationship with God. And it allowed me to, it allowed him to be more active in our relationship. I got better at listening, better at waiting on him, better at attending to him. And it, it really made a difference. He, he was able, I think, to be more proactive in the relationship, if I can say it that way. And, mm-hmm. and I, was, I got better at, at receiving from him and connecting with him in that way. Beautiful. Lisa, you mentioned uh, talking about it being active. I think that when we think about the concept contemplation, generally, uh, our neighbors would think that this is a passive thing, that you're going into some kind of Buddha, Zen kind of state. How can contemplation be thought of as an, as an active thing? Yeah, that's a good question. And that is the fear, and that's been the criticism of contemplation. Um, and that's the criticism of people who work a lot of contemplation into their lives. You know, why are you spending an hour sitting and waiting on God when you can be actually doing something? Um, I found for myself that contemplation leads to the things that I really value that are active. And I think, Stephen, your book highlights exactly this point in the connection with uh, creativity. You make the the point that contemplation enables us to partner better with God mm-hmm. in creative efforts. And I think that's just one example how taking the time to invest in our interior lives produces exterior things that we value and that the world values. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you've probably both found this. I've found that the time that I invest in resting in God, listening to him, receiving from him, it does produce more creativity. It produces more compassion for others. Mm -hmm. It produces a better understanding of myself and ways that I interact with others. It opens me up to hearing the Holy Spirit on different topics and and not just going with my own thinking. Mm -hmm. It also can become a lifestyle. And I think um, you mentioned Richard Foster in in his book on prayer. And actually you highlight my very, very favorite quote, I think from the entire book, which is prayer is quote, a loving attentiveness to God. So we both, Mm -hmm. I guess, really like Foster. I also think in terms of the idea of action and contemplation, I think of one of his statements, I think it was in Celebration of Discipline, where he said he was trying to create a portable sanctuary in the heart. And I think contemplation and action connect in that way also, that the times we spend connecting with God in a deep way end up changing our whole lifestyle. It changes how we're walking through the grocery store. (laughs) It changes how we take, you know, the phone call from the person who challenges us. It changes how we handle setbacks and failures. It just bleeds into all of our life. And in that way, it just has to bleed into our actions. The more we do create that place of sanctuary for God in our heart and value that, it is going to become portable. It's going to bleed into everything, I think, really flavor all of our life. Yes. I love that phrase, portable sanctuary. And I think that's really at the heart of my own understanding of contemplation and how it ties into the creative life. Because once we begin to cultivate a heart of contemplation in our spiritual lives, and then we bring that into the studio, uh, to the canvas or to the piano or whatever, you know, into the dance studio, whatever it may be, that posture of contemplation, I think, enables us to begin seeing the world 
in a new light and also seeing the world in a new pace. And I think that's one of the other countercultural aspects of contemplation that really stands out to me is when we live in the midst of this frantic world, we can approach that with a posture of, of awareness of, it's almost like, I, I like to think of it, of the, those moments in the movies, you know, where, you know, they go to the slow motion and you see the guy getting ready to do the move or whatever. <laughs> it's like that, but man, that is a, that is a challenge and a discipline that I think takes a real determination on some level to practice. Well, and you yeah. talk about being countercultural. I think that that, when I think about this concept is, that's what strikes me as most important. I don't know, more more the why this is so important, that it seems that everything else around us is working against it. So, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it almost becomes like, well, if this requires so much noise and distraction by our culture to, to get us from contemplation, it, it probably is an important thing that we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what strikes me is, is uh, it's almost an argument from silence or argument for need of silence. Yeah, well, I go back, uh, Stephen, to what you wrote about um, it attunes our hearts and eyes to see within and behind the material world. It's a way of choosing to live in the spiritual reality versus the natural reality. And you're right. When when we look around us, I mean, I can think of 10 things I need to do today. I can think of five things right now I should be worrying about. I can think of another eight things that might fail or not work out. So if I'm looking just in the natural reality, I do begin to put a lot of pressure on myself to accomplish things and do things, and I become frantic. But you're right, if I begin to look to the spiritual reality, I think of God's promises, I think of who God is, I think of who God truly made me to be and the pieces of my heart and spirit that I want to to share with the world absolutely pacing changes. I I love your comment, Stephen, about pacing, because we can begin to interact with the world more thoughtfully. We can see ourselves more thoughtfully. We can see other people in a deeper way. I think it just, when we begin accessing the spiritual reality, it puts our hearts at rest, and it gives us freedom to take two hours to talk to a friend who needs to talk to us rather than, you know, worrying about a project we need to get done or spend a little extra time on a creative project. I know a lot of times when I'm writing, I, I almost kind of want to rush it. I want to get it done. I'm like, I've got a deadline. And I keep saying to myself, do I want this to be right? Or do I want this to be fast? (laughs) And that's kind of one of those, you know, contemplative pause moments, I think, that you take when you're, when you're creating, where you have to remind yourself, no, this needs to come from a deeper place. This needs to come from a deeper place in me. This needs to come from a deeper place around the world, which is God. It needs to come from a spiritual place. And so working contemplation into our lives, but also into our creative process, I think allows us to to access that. And we come to rest, we step away from the franticness, and then we can really access uh, the parts of ourselves and the parts of our creative process that are deep and that are helpful, helpful to the world and say something different, say something meaningful. Lisa, do you find that as you've been pursuing this contemplative prayer and and this attitude and and posture towards God, that it becomes habitual? Or is this something that you see as as always kind of uh, working against the flow? Yeah, that's a good question. I honestly believe you need two pieces to really work uh, contemplation into your life. You absolutely need the set aside times. 
-hmm. you can't become contemplative on the fly. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> kind of works it, against the whole idea. Exactly. You, you need to say, hey, I'm going to take a half hour at lunchtime. I'm going to take a few minutes in the morning. I'm going to use some time in my evening, whatever it is. You need that set aside, dedicated time to learn um, the, the practice, as, as Stephen writes in the chapter, to learn the spiritual discipline of stilling your heart in God's presence and coming to rest. So the dedicated time absolutely has to be there. But yeah, you're right. There has to be an intentionality in being aware as we live our lives of God and saying, even in those moments, um, okay, wait, I need to reset. I've actually done things like, you know, worn a bracelet <laughs> or put, you know, Bible verses or something around in places that I can see them frequently or played music in the background, whatever it is to try to reset myself multiple times throughout the day to just remind myself that I'm in a relationship with God. He's real. And there's more than what I'm seeing around me. And I can ask the Holy Spirit to help me continually throughout the day. It's practicing the presence of God, right? Brother Lawrence mm. idea. But I can ask the Holy Spirit continually throughout the day to help me reset just in those many times. Um, and I, I think in that way, it becomes a lifestyle. But I think you need both pieces. You need the dedicated time as well to really teach your heart to rest in God. I'd like to bring up one more aspect of contemplation as we're drawing to a close of this episode. And what I'm thinking of is how contemplation transforms our perception or how contemplation brings transformation, like the quote at the beginning of the chapter on learning to see the cathedral in the rock pile. And on page 32 of the book, I made the comment that this realization leads us to see the cathedral in the rock pile. We share perspective with God's contemplation and see things not as they appear, but as they actually are or could be. And so there seems to be a transformative component of contemplation where we begin to see things from a heightened perspective or perhaps even from God's perspective. And that's how I see contemplation as lending itself to the creative process, you know? Like when we create from a contemplative posture, we're able to see potential that we didn't see before. Because like you were saying, we see in and through and beyond, and we see a potential, not just what's on the surface level. It enables us to see with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, as you were saying. And so I'm curious for you as a writer, does that transformative aspect of contemplation impact your creative choices? Um, well, I love that quote in your chapter. Uh, I also like your quote from uh, Steve Turner, where he says, um, what compels us to create is something inside that needs to get out. That is why the quality of our interior life is so important. And I think that line really uh, highlights how creativity comes into my process. As, as a writer of nonfiction, primarily. I usually want to share the lessons that I'm learning. I want to share about the transformation that's happening inside of me, as you say. Um, contemplation is, is transformative for our hearts. 
it's hard for God to get our attention and it's hard for God to change us <laughs> if, you know, we're just praying on the fly in our car or not those things are bad. But, you know, if we're always trying to do relationship with him on the fly, it's hard for him to really get at the deep parts of us. And so contemplation gives him that access through the Holy Spirit, allows him to change and it motivates us. And I think that's the thing that I find um, connects contemplation with my creative process the most is it gets me excited to share the things that God is doing. It gets me excited particularly to share the things that I learn about him. I mean, we all love it when we read something in the scriptures or in prayer time, the Holy Spirit shows us new things about God, new things about who he is, new aspects of our relationship with him, new ways we can lean into him. I mean, he's so creative and vast and incredible uh, that the more we access that aspect of our relationship with him uh, through contemplation, the more we really do have something to share. So I think for me, particularly because I tend to work in uh, in areas of writing that, like I said, are nonfiction, are not maybe as exciting, it seems, as a painting or a new poem or a short film. I still get excited about what I'm sharing about God and what I've learned about him in my writing. You know, I think about these aspects of, of like the, the scene, the, the rock pile becoming the, the cathedral and such. In my mind, I, I feel like that's something that creatives have the opportunity to offer their brothers and sisters. So if, if you are, if you find yourself in a, <laughs> in a Bible study with folks and you're like, everyone's going down and sharing things and it all makes sense. But I think that as an artist, like I just assume that I'm seeing the cathedral in the in the pile of rocks. Like I, I assume everyone else is seeing that because I'm seeing that. You know, often uh, artists or, or musicians and such get kind of sidelined in in the church because we don't fit the normal way of communicating about spirituality or the normal process of church life. But I think, and you know, my whole thing, I always have the soapbox that uh, artists aren't special people, that they're just like everybody else in the church and, and don't get off your high horse. You're not, you're nothing glorious. But I think that if we think about, you know, Paul saying that we each have parts of the body that, that serves, we may be the eye and someone else is the hand that we have to realize that we are offering this way of looking at the world. That's a little bit different. And when I think about this whole chapter of contemplation, for me, it seems just normal like that that's because we when we sit down to to make something there is that quiet and and I I'm practicing the the skills needed without even knowing that that's what I'm doing and I think that that's something that we can lovingly share with our uh, our brothers and sisters that what we do and how this can approach and impact our spiritual formation yeah, well, I, I think of uh, back to, I know I've mentioned this several times, but I just love it so much, Stephen's statement, um, seeing within and behind the material world. It's, it's very often prophetic in the sense that uh, the artistic impulse pushes us beyond the natural world into the spiritual world to see spiritual reality. And then, as you say, Ned, to turn around and speak that to others. And that's a powerful gift to have. It's a powerful gift to offer. And that's why it needs contemplation, because contemplation mm -hmm. settles our heart in the Lord 
and, and strengthens us and gives us a foundation outside of ourselves because it's not easy to speak spiritual realities in a natural world. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy to present them visually. It's not easy to present them artistically, but that's what we're doing. I think also, Stephen, of your chapter on beauty, you know, we're bringing the beauty and the kindness and the goodness and all the aspects of God that we can see in spiritual reality. We're trying to present that in a natural context to people who are using their natural eyes and ears. And that's hard, but it's absolutely necessary. And Ned, I love your point that it's part of body life. It's, it's part of what we bring. It's sharing the heart and character of God in a way that can be accessed and that moves someone. And they say, wait, God's like that. God loves me like that. God thinks like that. God wants this type of relationship with me. So in that way, I, I would say it's, it's very prophetic in that it's sharing the heart of God and it's bringing the spiritual into the natural. And no, it's not easy, but yes, absolutely necessary and tremendously fruitful, can absolutely be life-changing. And, and we've all experienced that. We've all read a page in a book or looked at a painting or heard a song and, and, and been changed forever because of it. That's the power of art and the power of the creative impulse. Beautiful. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Your insights have been incredibly helpful for me and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. I've loved being here. And, and Stephen, thank you for writing your book, Ned, uh, your participation in it as well. It's a wonderful gift. I mentioned to you, Stephen, I, I gift it to a lot of creative students that I work with. It's just so succinct and powerful and kind of every word and it counts. <laughs> so I, I really enjoy the book and I thank you for writing it and thank you for including me today. It was really fun to talk about these really very important uh, topics, especially for right now in our world. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Naming the Animals podcast. This episode was produced by Stephen Roach with music provided by Firefighter. If you would like to support the production of this and other art and faith-related podcasts, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at makersandmystics and leave a kind review on iTunes. Thank you.